Thank you, guys. What a joy to worship together. Thank you for uh, your leadership. And hello, everybody. Good to be back together again tonight. Uh, I'm thrilled tonight to be looking at the theme of finding our calling. That is a really, really important theme for all of us in the room. And I, and I do mean all of us. Doesn't matter how old you are, you're always looking for the next step and next chapter in life. But we're in the midst of a period right now in our culture where this subject of satisfaction uh, and assurance that I'm in the place I belong is a huge, huge subject at every level. When I travel and I teach with Torchers Missionary Fellowship, I teach in centers very similar to Joshua all around the world. And uh, one of the things I ask students is, do you know your spiritual gift? Do, do, like, do you know how God has uniquely created you to bless this world? And I would say less than 20% of students would raise their hand and affirm, yeah, I know this is how God has made me. And then in that like prime of life era, 20 to 50 or whatever you want to call it, we're all dealing with the great resignation. People are just abandoning their jobs post-COVID, and they're like this, nah, that just doesn't cut it for me. And it's because we're discovering that over 80% of people loathe their employment. And that speaks to a disconnect between uh, the world in which I live and my calling. And, and I need to find a way to live fully into my calling. And that sometimes will affect my employment. And then people my age, uh, we're facing what uh, one author calls the final third of life. And we finish our day job, and then we're still looking at 30 years or more to do whatever, and we're like, what are we going to do? So you're never done looking for your calling. You're never done. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And we're, we're going to look at Moses, but we're going to premise the whole thing in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, where we read this. Apostle Paul says, For we are his workmanship, created for good works that God ordained that we should do in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.10 uh, God prepared beforehand that we would walk in these certain good works. So every one of us in the room has like a destiny. God has something in mind for you to do, everyone. And I, I just want us to kind of accept that on the front end and then uh, also realize that if we're in Christ, we have all the tools necessary to find that calling and live into that calling, but also true, apart from Christ, impossible, impossible to find that calling. You can live a life, you can find a career, you can make six figures, you can get rich, maybe, but maybe not. And, and the, the, the larger point would be, you'll never find satisfaction because satisfaction is only available when there's an alignment in the way that I'm investing my time and energy in this world with the way that God has made me. When there's alignment, I'm living into my calling. When I'm living into my calling, there's joy, there's fruitfulness, there's satisfaction. So it's really, really important that we have this conversation. And the great joy is this. When God intervenes in our lives and we find our calling, our calling may be hard, and it will no doubt have trials and difficulties, as we'll see. But the promise of God is this. When I'm in Christ and I'm living in my calling, I will have the capacity to do whatever it is that God is calling me to do. I'll have that capacity. This is the promise of John 7. Jesus said it. Is anyone thirsty? And I am. Let him come to me and drink. And then this is what he says. Not all fill your cup. I will turn you into a river. 
so that from your belly will burst forth rivers of living water. I came to Christ thirsty. We'll deal with this much more tomorrow night. I came to Christ thirsty. Christ didn't just fill my cup. Christ filled me to the point of overflowing so that now I have the capacity to bless and serve and heal and love a broken and hurting world. And many of us in the room, to be blunt, uh, feel like we don't have that capacity. That's an invitation to get back yoked with Christ. Because the promise of John 7 is cause and effect, like drink from me and you'll become a river. It's a, it's a law. So p- fill your life with Christ, that capacity comes to you. That's good news, right? We need that capacity. And then, not just capacity, but God makes clear our calling, right? Ephesians 2, I just said, you have pre- specific things God has in mind for you to do actual things to do with your days. 1 Corinthians 12 said this, says it this way. You, everybody in the room has gifts, right? Some have gifts of giving. Some have gifts of mercy. Some have gifts of uh, teaching. Some have gifts of wisdom. Some have gifts of service. Some are incredibly creative. Some have gifts of discernment. Everybody has gifts. And what it says in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 is this. When you find your gift, that's super liberating Because now you say a major yes to that investment and it frees you from a billion distractions. Like as soon as I knew that I was called to teach, I knew that I could let go of being a professor musician, let go of being an architect, let go of ever being in the Olympics, (laughs) let go of being a professional skier. All kinds of things that would like derail my prime calling until I accepted the fact, oh, I'm made for this, right? Psalm 139 says that every one of us are made uniquely, and there's something in us. I have to find it. Now, for me to show you that there's something in you, I'm going to show you a short, very short video, two minutes. If you were here Sunday, you met my dog. My dog is made to pull. He only weighs 11 pounds, but he's bred from sled dogs and bred down to a house dog. But he's made to pull. And so he finds his greatest joy on the planet when he's pulling. Watch this for two minutes, and then we'll get back to the text. You got it? Silver fur is ready to go when they arrive. He knows what they're about to come. And so he's up on the dash and he's looking around and he's ready. And then I get there and I put my skis on and he's loose to me. And I begin my uphill journey. And then once I'm at the top, I have to take these skins off of my skis and get ready to go down. But as soon as the skins are off, is ready to go. And then this is what happens.
Soon we're traveling together, skiing downhill, and uh, very quickly finishing up back at the lodge in the Peaks of Retreat, and all three of us are profoundly honored. And especially Sylvie, because this, of all the things that he does with these games, this is the thing that he is hardwired That, uh, by the way, that's where I live, and that was just shot like a month ago. So we still have just a, I mean, it's ridiculous. Winter is still in full, in full force. It's just kind of crazy. And that's also a YouTube channel that I have called Spirit Soul Body Wholeness. And uh, you can find that on YouTube if you want to get more of those kind of videos. So the great challenge is this, though. We have capacity. God's promised to make our calling known, and yet in spite of the capacity... And the desire that God has to share with us our, our, our understanding of our own destiny, many have said yes to Christ, are involved outwardly in what Paul calls the forms of godliness, church attendance, devotional life, all this stuff. But we, many of us fall short of living the life for which we're created because we never find our calling. And if you go through the scriptures, you see the children of Israel were called to go into the promised land. They didn't go. You see that uh, Samson was called to a particular life, and he was derailed by lust. You see that Saul was called to a particular life. He was derailed by pride. You see in the parable of the seed and the sower that people are called to fruitfulness, and they're derailed from fruitfulness by love of money, love of riches, aversion to suffering, you know, worries, cares, all this stuff. So we have to figure out how to find our calling. And to do that, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at Moses, right? So... Uh, whoops, that's tomorrow. What goes into finding my calling? The case study is going to be Moses. And, and so what we're going to do here is I'm going to show you in Moses' discovery of his calling several elements that go into finding our calling. The first is always this. There's going to be a God encounter. And the God encounter for Moses, of course, many of you know the story. It comes in Exodus chapter 3. But uh, in Exodus chapter 3, Moses uh, has already tried to be a deliverer of the children of Israel from slavery and failed. And he's withdrawn into the desert, and now he's very happy in the desert. He's actually pretty content. He's shepherding. He's married. He's got some kids. He doesn't have any hassles of leadership. He's a sole proprietor. He's doing well, right? All is good in Moses' life. And then uh, there's a burning bush in Exodus 3.2, and he says, i got to turn aside and see this bush and see why it's not burned up. And that is the beginning of the encounter with God, right? Because then in that encounter, uh, God speaks to Moses. And God says, don't come near. Remove your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. Here I am, God. Uh, and then uh, Moses was afraid to look at God's face. And then God says this in verse 7. This is very great. I've seen the affliction of my people in Egypt. I've given heed to their cry. I'm aware of their suffering. So I, this is God saying, I've come down to deliver them. Bring them up from the power, uh, bring them up from the land to the good and spacious land, land flowing with milk and honey, places the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, etc. The cry of the son of Israel have come to me. I've seen the oppression. 
with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. And if you stop right there, Moses would be like this. Awesome, man. Good news. You've come down to deliver them. Go for it. I got some sheep to tend. But the next verse ultimately proves to be annoying to Moses. Therefore come now and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring the people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. And then, become, then begins this long argument that we'll kind of get into in a minute here. But this is where God draws a bullseye on Moses and says, Moses, I have something for you to do. You have the gifts for it, and there's a particular place that needs your gifts and your attention. So, listen, guidance into our calling always includes a God encounter. Always. Uh, for us, it's not normally an audible voice from God direct from heaven, but it's in the text sometimes. It's in moments in creation sometimes. It's in that still small interior voice sometimes. Certainly, all true. But often in our life circumstances, profound, kind of life-altering moments happen because the voice of God speaks through another human being to us. Like God speaks through bushes, but God often speaks through people. It does in Scripture as well. So, for example, in my own life, I'd say I was studying architecture, and then I had this God thing happen at, at a retreat, and then I changed my major to music, and I was going to be a music pastor like Jason, and, and then uh, I ended up going to seminary, thinking that I was going to be a professor and teach theology in, a, in some kind of a college somewhere. And so I'm in seminary prepping to become a professor, but I had to take a preaching class. And so I did a preaching class, and everybody gets up and does a little 10-minute whatever thing. And I did, so, then I did, so I did my thing, and the backstory for me is I hated public speaking in, in uh, high school because I'm introvert totally by nature, and the thought of standing up in front of people was terrifying me. But anyway, I got up and I did, did my thing. So I did my little 10-minute thing. You know, the, the prof, he says a couple things, and then, um, and then class ends, and then as class ends, you know, I'm leaving, and he comes up to me, and he puts his hand on me, and I'll never forget because the moment changed my life. He said, he said, Richard, I'm telling you this, God has called you to preach. And I go, no, no, that's not true. He goes, oh, he says, he says uh, this isn't flattery. This isn't anything about your grade. I, I hear a bunch of people, and I'm just telling you, God has called you, and I want you to say to me, I'm a fan of that gift, and like, you develop that gift, because God's given you that gift. I did not want to hear that. But it actually changed the course of my life. Because then I ended up, uh, people ask me, how did you become a pastor? And I always say the same thing. God tricked me. And now I'm a, I've been a pastor for 40 years. And I was never, ever a goal. It was never a goal. You see, and then the other thing that happened, where God spoke very powerfully and totally changed the course of my life, my wife and I, uh, I, I, I was heading to a Bible college to be a Bible college teacher. And I had a year before the job started. And the church in Washington State invited me to be the interim pastor. And I was like, 
I'd rather be there than Los Angeles. So, you know, we moved to this little island, and I'm preaching and doing my thing. And then the Bible school where I was going to go had a big financial crisis, and they changed my job description, and I ended up turning a job down. And the search committee at the church where I was just an interim, they said, we're done searching. We found our pastor. We want you to stay and be the pastor. I was like, okay, I'll just stay. And then that was it. Like, I have been a pastor ever since. And we left there after seven years, and I was pastoring. I started a house church in the mountains and ran a little tiny retreat center. And I was very happy. We lived in a tiny little town. And I was teaching with Torturers Missionary Fellowship, which many of you already know, and that takes me all over the world. So I had to be in India teaching. And then through this weird series of circumstances, there was a riot in the town of the Bible school. And the director of the school says, Richard, you got to leave. It's not safe to be a white man and be here. We put you on a midnight train to Delhi, and he gave me just a little piece of paper uh, with an address on it. He says, give this to a cab driver, and you're going to go stay with this guy one night, and then he's going to take you to the airport. So I'm staying with this guy, who I've never met before, and he goes, he goes, so you're from Washington State. I go, yeah. He says, um, he says, have you uh, ever heard of Bethany Community Church? That's a church in Seattle where I've been a pastor now for 27 years. I said, yeah, I went, to, I went to that church when I was a college student. And then I said, in fact, the best sermon I ever heard was when the pastor got back from India. It's the only sermon I remember. It was so powerful. And this guy in India, he says, he was sitting where you're sitting right now, having breakfast just like this. I said, you're kidding. He said, yeah, I was, I was a missionary supported by Bethany Community Church for 18 years. Cool. Can I have some Cheerios? You know, and we're just eating. And then he goes, he goes, did you know the pastor's retiring? He'd been there 38 years. I go, man, I pity the guy who replaces him. It's a disaster. <laughs> like, if somebody's that popular, usually, you never want to be the guy after the guy. You want to be the guy after the guy after the guy. Because the guy after the guy, last two years, he's gone, right? So anyway, I said, I pity the guy who replaces him. Then, this guy's eating, and he stops eating, drops his fork, and he says, God just spoke to me. God wants you to be the pastor of Bethany Community Church. And I just laughed at him. I said, yeah. Are you a Pentecostal? That's what I said. I said, does, does God speak to you, and then you tell other people? He says, yeah, I am. I'm a Pentecostal. God just spoke to me. I said, well, you're wrong. <laughs> he says, well, take it up with God. God wants you to be the pastor. Interesting. And if, if you're ever in conversation with me and I say interesting, it means I'm bored or, or I don't agree with you. But, it, but it's not worth the hassle of, of, con of the conflict. So if we're talking, you tell me you're a Laker fan, I go, interesting. I don't want to debate basketball with you, but I don't agree with you, right? So that's, so anyway, I said to the guy, interesting. And then um, he trots me over the airport, last words. Don't forget Bethany Community Church. Well, I went home, forgot about it totally. This was like 1992. 1994, I had a call. Hey, Bethany Community Church, would you um, come speak for a week? Just like this. I was like, yeah, that's what I do. No problem. And they called back and said, you know we have an opening for senior pastor. And then I remembered that guy. I said, oh, yeah, I know. And then they said, if you come speak, you can't apply for the job. I said, this is perfect. I'm in, man. I'll be here. I'll speak for two weeks. 
if that assures me that I'll never be the pastor of this church. So I went and spoke for a week, and then I'll never forget another, this is another kind of burning bush moment, like I'm out on the deck of our little place in the mountains cleaning uh, cook stoves for backpacking, because we do backpacking stuff, and I get a phone call. Hello, this is Dave from Bethany Community Church. Our search committee, after you spoke, we met, we think God wants you to be the pastor of this church. Would you please apply, right? And so then I said, well, a guy said this two years ago. And because he said it, and now you've said it, I'm going to apply, but I don't think you want me. But here's the point. All, All of us, have these burning bush moments. We all do. Here's the problem. We're not paying attention. Why? Because we, for some of us, we already have in our mind what, the, what is the good life. And the burning bush is going to take you away from what you perceive to be the good life. Can I just say to you, that's a really foolish thing to do. Why? Because, hello, who made you? You didn't make yourself. God made you. And so God knows you better than you know yourself. And so God knows the life for which you're created, and you don't. And if you'd have ever told me I'd be a pastor of an urban megachurch, I would have said on a list of everything in the world, that's, that would be near the bottom. But that's because I don't know myself as well as God knows me. Does that make sense? So we've got to be open to the burning bush, and I love that Moses was open. And then Moses pushes back, right? He's like, who will I say sent me? And then there's an encounter. But then Moses is concerned, as many people would be, look, if I'm going to take the risk of a calling, I want to know that there's some measure that you're going to be with me in the midst of this. I want to know that people will listen to me. I want to know that people will follow me. I want to know that if I use my gifts, there's going to be some fruit somewhere down the road. Some fruit, right? So then Moses says this in chapter 4, verse 1. What if they won't believe me or listen to what I say? We're we're now to this. How is my calling going to be confirmed? How is your calling confirmed? Well, this is so interesting. He says, what if they won't believe me or listen to what I say? The Lord says, what's in your hand? And he says, a staff. It's a stick, right? Throw it on the ground. He throws it on the ground. It becomes a snake. Moses runs away from it. But the Lord says to Moses, stretch out your hand, go back, grab the snake by its tail, which is counterintuitive, but whatever. So he goes, so, but Moses obeys, he goes back, he grabs the snake, and it becomes a stick again. And then God says, that's how they'll know that I, the Lord, sent you. What is that? What is that? Well, this is where you got to do like Joshua Tree stuff and do a little hermeneutics and study. And when you study the Bible, you go, oh, um, is there anything symbolic about a snake in the Bible? And in fact, there is, right? Because <clears throat> we all know from the play last night, there's a garden, and there's a little glowing thing on the tree there, and then there's a, a rapper who is actually Satan, <laughs> and, and it's a, it's a, he's a snake. He's a snake, right? So the, the snake is Satan. So here's Moses. I want to know that that what you're calling me to, how will I know that I'm in the stream of your activity? Here's how. You're going to encounter 
the devil himself, like in conflict, watch this, in conflict, your calling is going to be confirmed. Now, who wants to hear that? I, certainly not me. So in Moses' case, big time conflict all the way through. So, you know, he argues with God, then he goes back, and then when he goes back to try to deliver the children of Israel, if you know the story, Pharaoh goes, yeah, well, from now on, I'm going to double the quota of bricks, and you've got to gather your own material. So things don't get better, they get worse, and the children of Israel, who he's been sent to lead, in year one, they say, we wish you'd never come. We hate you. So conflict, conflict with Pharaoh, conflict with his own people. Then, after plagues and Passover and incredible deliverance and the miracle of the Red Sea, there's this, you know, great worship one day, Acts 15, and then in Acts 16, what's the deal? There's no water. Oh, Moses brought out us here to kill us. He brought us here to kill us. We, oh, Moses, we hate you, man. How, what's up with the water? And then they get water, and then they're hungry. Oh, so now you give us water just to tease us because you're going to kill us with hunger. We want food. And then he, so God starts raining food, this manna down from heaven. Every morning it's on the ground. After a couple of weeks, we hate manna. We're sick of this manna. We want protein. We're paleo people, man. Come on, give us protein. These carbs are killing us. So they get meat. And then it goes on and on. We don't like your wife. Who, who made you king anyway over us? No, we're not, we're not going. God, he, t he tells him, you know, gather six days, not, and on the seventh day rest, they go out to gather on the seventh day. And the stuff they gather, and there's nothing there. And they go to Moses, how come there's no food? And Moses wants to kill them, right? So by the, listen, to, listen you, by the time you get to Numbers 12, <laughs> Numbers 11, this is what Moses says. He says, he says, uh, Moses, uh, Numbers 11, 11. Here's Moses talking to God. Have you ever felt this way? Like you're in your job and it's not going well. That's Moses. This is what he says. Why have you been so hard on me, God? Why did I find favor in your side? Why have you laid the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive these people? I love his sarcasm. Was it I who brought them forth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries whining infants to the land which you swore to your fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all these people? For they weep before me. Give us meat that we may eat. I can't carry this burden. Too much for me. If you're going to continue to deal with me this way, please kill me at once if you like me. That's what he says. That's Moses. Like he's a hero in the faith. But he has had it up to here with his calling. So look, is my calling the life for which I'm created? Yes. Is it life-giving? Yes. Uh, do I have the capacity? Yes. Do I always like it? Absolutely not. And uh, if I could just say a word here to all of us, the fact that you had a hard day is not a sign to move on. It's just not a sign to move on. So this is like week one of camp if I speak to staff. Week eight is going to be no picnic. Like you're sick of someone by then. And the campers have the same problems every stinking week. And you're thinking about college. Can I just say, don't quit? Just don't quit. Why? Because the best stuff always comes on the far side of the conflict. Here's, here's year one in this church. I mean, 
they called me, and it was great, and, I, and we knew we were supposed to move to the city, so we, you know, we moved, and then I made a staffing change in a church that had not made a staffing change in over 20 years. So I asked a guy to uh, find a different job, basically. And he was like this, yep, made sense. You told me, we had an agreement. But then he came back the next day, really mad. I slept on it. This is unfair, this is unjust. He called a bunch of people in the church. So I show up the next Sunday, and I've been there six months. Get this, there's signs on the lawn, like picket signs. We'd rather have that guy than Richard. Than Richard. Keep X, send Richard back to the mountains. Like, and, and people picketing with, with signs. And then I had to go in and preach in the midst of that. And uh, the board was 100% behind me and all this stuff. But it was, a, it was just one of the darkest moments of my life. And I went home that day and I wrote a letter of resignation. I said, thanks, you guys. It's been a wonderful six months. I'm sorry I destroyed your church. Um, but I'm going to go back to the mountains. We haven't sold the property yet. And I'll just, I'm better throwing people off rocks, repelling, and it's all good. And so I, you know, I wrote the letter, I showed my wife, she laughed, she laughed. <laughs> she tore it up in front of me, really dramatically, threw it in the air. She says, you can't leave, you can't leave. You're called. I said, I don't want to be called. She said, I don't want you to be called either. But you are called. And so you've got to say yes to calling. So watch this, a couple things here before we move on. Uh, regarding conflict, don't become masochistic about conflict, please. In other words, don't, don't say, oh, the more conflict, that means I'm in the deeper center of God's will. That's perversion. Like, you don't have to go looking for conflict. It will find you if you're living faithfully. So you don't have to look for it. But when it comes, don't panic. That's just the way it is among the people of God. We were talking about this on the way up here. Read Acts 10 to 15. Like, when the church first started, the word in a word cloud would have been conflict. What? Gentiles in the church? That's impossible. You know, all the Jewish people in Jerusalem. Oh, yeah, well, we'll let them in, but they got to be circumcised. No, they don't. Oh, yes. Holiness. And then Peter has his dream. I just ate bacon. Kill him. You know, I mean, it's terrible. <laughs> so there's got to be conflict in anything we do and it's our response to conflict that confirms our calling. It's our response to conflict that confirms our calling. If your response is, you know, humility and courage and the capacity to have a hard conversation with grace and love, which is impossible for me apart from Christ. But if we do that, on the far side of the conflict, our, our calling is confirmed, which is exactly what happened at Bethany Community Church. I went to the board and I said, listen, you guys, I apologize for this. They said, no, Richard, we knew it was coming. It had to happen. And to a human, the entire board said, we're with you. We're, we're going to ride this through. And on the far side, it's going to be you know, amazing. So is there conflict? That doesn't mean that you're not moving toward your giftedness at all. In fact, God's refining you through that. Second... Our, um, our calling is confirmed through failure. Uh, because the next kind of test in Exodus is God says to Moses, 
stick your hand into your cloak, you know, and he does, and he pulls it out, and it's leprous, which again, Bible study, sign of sin. Put it back in, and now it's pure as baby skin. And again, God said, that's how they'll know that you are called. That's how they'll know. Uh, so when we fail, and those that we love watch us fail, just hear me here, this is so important, failure is not a big deal. If the response to failure is confession and humility and transformation, then failure moves the needle in our lives. Does that make sense? Most of the big gains in my life have come as a result of failure. But if the response is denial of failure or blame or defensiveness, then all credibility is lost. So Moses would fail. He, had a, he would carry stuff a long time. It's called passive-aggressive. You carry stuff a long time, and then you snap. And it's happened, I mean, many, it happens to many of us. And God's trying to teach us, when, when, when you have kind of a passive-aggressive moment, God's trying to teach you in that moment, hey, don't carry so much, but you've heard this, don't let the sun go down on your anger thing, right? Just kind of bring it out there. My thing uh, at in my calling, that was the big failure, was our church grew super rapidly for two years. It went from 500 to 1,000 to 2,000. It doubled in two years. And I was so fixated on it growing and the congregants and finding, meeting the congregants and trying to get them involved in stuff that I was ignoring the staff. And then there was a big kind of blow up staff meeting and as a result of that blow-up staff meeting, I said, you know what we need to do? We need to bring in somebody to assess the health of our staff and figure out how we can fix this. And I, had to, I just had to own it. Do you understand? What? I, I had to own it. I said, you know what? I haven't been. I, I've been at the helm with the congregation. I've been at the helm with the Sunday experience. But I haven't been at the helm with you guys. And uh, we took our staff assessment and in this little company that does this, they assess churches across the country, we're in the bottom 20th percentile. And then we worked with them for four years and moved from the bottom 20th to the top 20th. And here's the point. It's that movement, boom, there's your credibility. Why? You owned your failure, you took steps to remedy it, and you walk in a light through that. And so when you find your calling, doesn't mean you're never going to fail. You'll still fail. But if what's on display is your ongoing transformation, then it works. And then the last thing I want to show you is Moses' capacity is ultimately confirmed. Moses, at the end, God's said everything here. And, and he says, Moses says, look, I'm not qualified, verse 10. I've never been eloquent, neither recently nor in a time past, nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech, slow of tongue. I don't have the verbal skills to lead two million people out of slavery through the wilderness in the promised land. I, I just don't, I don't, I don't have what it takes. That's, that's exactly what he says. And then this is God's response. He says, look, I made your mouth 
So I'm going to give you what you need, and if you need to speak, boom, I'm going to fill you, and you'll speak. So watch this. Moses didn't feel qualified, but he actually, in fact, was qualified because we know from Acts 7 that he was uniquely made for the job. Now watch, this is really important. If you pay attention and God calls you to something, it's likely that you too will have reasons to present that show that you're not qualified. In other words, it's going to be just, just beyond your comfort zone, often. Just like you're intrigued by it, and it sounds appealing, but there's a piece of you that doesn't, it feels like it's too much. That's okay. That's okay. So in my own situation, when I went and interviewed for this job, uh, they said, hey, tell us your strengths. I filled out an app, you know, and, and uh, they said, tell us your strengths and weaknesses for the job. So this is what I said. I said, okay, on the strength side, I love to teach the Bible, and you want somebody who loves to teach the Bible. And I love university students, and there are 40,000 of them within three miles of your location. And when I spoke for the week, there's only one in the building. So we got room to grow. That's awesome. Here's, my, here's the problem. You want somebody with large church experience. I don't have any. I pastored a church on an island at its max. It was 100 and now a house church. Second, you want somebody with management experience. I've never managed a staff. Our ministry is run by a staff of two. It's me and my wife, and she tells me what to do. <laughs> Number three, you want somebody who likes administration. I hate administration, right? I don't like booking tickets. I don't like responding to emails. I don't like any of that stuff. And then I added, I don't want to move to the city, I don't think, because I live in a town where the whole phone book is an 8.5 by 11 piece of paper. And we're on there twice. I don't want to move my three kids, 11, 10, and 5, you know, the big bad city of Seattle. And then uh, finally, I'm happy where I am. So I was certain they'd be like this. Thanks has been interesting. We're going to go find somebody qualified. Instead, this is what they did. Oh, finally, an honest candidate. Everyone's oversold themselves. We're so grateful that you've been honest with all your weaknesses because now we can know how to build a staff around you that could do the things that you're not gifted at doing. And we will provide for you administrators. And we will provide for you, you know, accounting people. And we will provide for you, you know, everything you need. And all, so all the way through for 27 years... I basically felt like I could do one thing. I can't change the oil. I can't balance my checkbook, but I can preach. And there's other people kind of holding on my arms to the point of I don't even have the faith for the vision sometimes. We got a building permit to build this big building. And uh, then the costs had risen due to some delays. And it was a million and a half dollars more than we had collected in offerings and pledges and all that stuff. So I'll never forget meeting in a Starbucks right by the church with my executive pastor and the chairman of our building committee. And the chairman of our building committee, had he was the project manager to build the Seattle Library, which is like this epic piece of work made by a Danish architect, and uh, the Rock Museum that's down by the Space Center, if you've ever been there, right? Both of these buildings are bizarre, and he, bu he built them. And so he knows buildings, and he knows permits, and he knows coding, and all that stuff. And, and so we're, you know, we're sitting there, and I go, you know what, we gotta pull a plug. We're a million and a half dollars short, and the last thing I wanna do is be responsible for the financial implosion of this community. 
So uh, I've prepared this, me here's the messaging that I think we should do on Sunday and I lay it on the table. This guy, Doug, the building guy, he didn't even read it. I'm not gonna tear my notes up, but that's what he did. He tore, without reading it, he tears it up. And he pounds the table. Richard, you're the leader. And God's given us a vision. And God's provided for us. And this is a moment of faith. And this calls for your faith to stand in front of the people and say, we're going to do this. God has called us. Let's, let's sacrifice and give and watch God provide. Let's go forward. Will you step up and lead? Okay. I guess so. And I did. And we did. But I never had to do it alone, is my point. All that I needed to fulfill my calling, God has provided. And I'm just telling you, I don't care how old you are in the room, there's a next chapter, and all that you need, God will provide for you as well, right? So um, the other truth in my case and in yours is I was made for this particular context of the city, and I didn't even know it. I just love rural stuff. But, you know, we moved to the city, and people said, how did you end up with all these college students? I said, well, it's funny you should ask. I just happen to like to climb and drink coffee. So I joined the climbing gym right by the church and started a Bible study with people who were climbing. And, and then, we, you know, I'd say, hey, why don't you come over to church, and we'll make some good coffee and read Dostoevsky and do a Bible study. And Bingo. There's two, and then there's 10, and then there's 20, and then there's 50, and then we had to hire a college person because it's too big anymore. My unique gifts of outdoor culture mean we started a wilderness ministry and an ancient paths ministry where we take men and women out and they do solo 48 hours in the wilderness with fasting and they deal with, they learn meditation and all these things. I, I'm made for that city, I didn't even know it. And it says in Acts 7, Moses knew, he knew Egyptian. He knew Pharaoh. He grew up in Pharaoh's house. Like totally made for that particular context. So watch this. Your calling is like the, the gifts that God has given you and the context where God wants to use your gifts. The gifts and the context together are the calling. So we want to find our gifts but then I, prom I just promise you this, you guys. Often we'll wrestle with our context. We're going to wrestle with our context. You want to live urban, God sends you in the middle of nowhere. You, you want to live in the mountains, God puts you in the ocean. You want to be rich, and God gives you a, like a four-figure salary or something like that, you know. Hey, whatever. Don't even worry about it. Because if you're where God wants you to be, then we could sing that song and mean it. Great is thy faithfulness. All I have needed, my God has provided. Great is his faithfulness. And then what happens is the story that is written, the story that other people look at, and they don't say, oh, wow, look at this church that, you know, it was 300 and now it's 3,500. Look at what, you know, what's Richard's secret sauce? No one asks that because they know me. They know I'm a disaster. <coughs> right? This is what they do. They say, look what God has done, right? And my hope for you, like, you, you can build your own life. Any of us could. 
But I, the life worth living is a life that when other people look at it, they say there's only one explanation for what happened. God did something good. And that's what I want for all of you. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you that uh, we can learn from Moses that finding our calling means listening for your voice in the voice of others, in the wind as it blows through the trees, in moments of solitude, in the text, in circumstances, in open doors. I pray for every person in the room, may we know our gifts. May we come to discover them and fan them into flame. May we know our context. May we have the courage to wrestle with you over context. If it's not a context, we would choose. But may we say ultimately yes, so that you can write a story in our lives that only you could write, a miracle story. And we'll thank you for the adventure that awaits as we follow you. Praying in the name of Christ, who is our hope.